Very warm welcome to listeners of The Current Bun. Today we're having a special edition. Uh, the recently, you you may have well missed it in the mainstream media, there was uh, demonstrations around the country in support of the NHS called by Health Campaigns Together and Keep Our NHS Public. I joined one of the demonstrations in Leicester, over 100 events across the whole of the United Kingdom, from Glasgow down to Norwich, from Norwich to Plymouth, um, right across the whole country, making the point that we need more funding for the NHS. So here are some of the speeches from our local demonstration. This is Steve Score, co-chair of Save Our NHS, Leicestershire. The NHS needs a minimum of 4% a year increase in funding in order just to stand still. And that's not enough. We don't want to stand still. We want to improve and expand the National Health Service. But instead of that 4% increase a year to stand still, this government has actually only increased the NHS funding by 1% a year. So you can see clearly, over the last decade, that amounts to a significant cut in resources in real terms for the National Health Service. And under successive governments, in reality, of all strikes, in my opinion, we've seen attacks on the NHS, privatisation of services and so on, but that, under this government, has accelerated uh, massively. There's many other points that we can make, and we'll also hear not just the proper funding of the NHS and against privatisation, more of that you'll hear as the speakers say what they want to say, but we're also here in solidarity with NHS staff. No wonder there's 100,000 staffing shortage in the NHS when workers in the NHS have had their pay cuts every single year for years. We support the demands for NHS staff to have a 15% part rise in their pay because that's what's needed to bring their pay back to the level it was perhaps eight or nine years ago. That's what's necessary. And maybe that can start the process of restarting the NHS as part of the process of expanding it and improving it. So without saying any more, just to say, my name's Steve Storm, by the way, I should have introduced myself at the beginning. I'm the chair of Save Our NHS Leicestershire, which is organised to defend jointly with the campaign against NHS privatisation in Leicester. I nearly forgot that. They're here as well as part of this uh, process. And we're going to hear a few speakers. The first speaker is uh, Max Lewis, who's speaking as a user of the NHS, also as a member of the Green Party. So I'll hand over to Max. Hey! Hey! Uh, yeah, so hello, my name is Mag Lewis. I'm a Leicester Green Party member. Leicester, Leicester Green Party member, plus uh, a patient. Uh, I live in Leicester and I uh, use the NHS a lot, having uh, because I've got MS. Um, and, and also, my background is as an NHS manager, so I've seen at first hand, as a patient, as a manager what damage the uh, phony internal market can actually do to our NHS. So, I'm really proud to be a member of a party that believes in free health and social care from cradle to grave. We also believe that that should be uh, provided free 
by the public sector for the, for the public and not by the private sector. I know just what a waste of money the phony internal market can be. And I'd like to give you one example, quite a specific example of my own personal story, uh, if you don't mind. So I have to have my medication delivered to my home address uh, every couple of months. Now that used to be uh, something I'd have to go to for to the hospital. Um, and a private company started delivering my medications. The reason why a private company won the contract was because private companies can claim back that. So immediately, they're 20% cheap. So they created a monopoly. The NHS can compete and there was no one to take over the contract. And when problems with the contract surfaced, the Department of Health were toothless. They did nothing. So we had a situation where patients were waiting for medication at home. They were running out of medication. Yet who picked up the pieces? The NHS, not the private company. And I have to say that this, this policy seems to be a deliberate try to try and get rid of uh, continuity of care. And this fragmentation is doing a huge damage. Private companies can cherry pick the small bits off that are profitable, but that damages our services. So this pattern is deliberate, and I'm really pleased that there are so many of us here, here today to say enough's enough. That we stand in solidarity together. The Green Party are here, and we support you, and we want to see an end to this, and we support your calls to the government to take proper action and to fund our NHS as it deserves. I It's my turn to speak next, and uh, here's an expert. Well, um, I've rewritten part of my speech because of what's been happening internationally. Global events have overtaken us, and it may seem inappropriate, perhaps, to be standing here protesting against cuts to the NHS. When artillery is pounding the city of Kiev, when civilians are fleeing their country, and when Russian imperialism is seeking to control the natural resources of the Ukraine. But I do think it is important to be here. I think there is a connection between NHS waiting times, the privatisation of our health service, and war and conflict. Not least because of the madness of billions being spent on renewing Trident, but because of what Tony Benn said, if they have the money to kill people, then they have the money to help people. We need to fight. We need to fight for socialist causes here in Britain and internationally in order to build a different sort of society, a socialist society that puts an end to conflict, exploitation and capitalist greed. So, back to my speech about the NHS. I need to say I'm speaking in a trade union rep capacity. If you're not a member of a trade union, join one and get involved. However imperfect some of them may be, they are our best protection against attacks on our workplaces, our towns and conditions, our best protection against privatisation and cuts to our NHS and our public services. None of the main political parties are offering anything in terms of protecting our public services and our NHS. 
when I started working in the NHS and mental health, clinics were held in people's GP surgeries, face to face, a familiar environment, in order to make the psychological service as accessible as possible. It's important there's still huge stigma around mental health. The service attempted to maximise continuity of care, with the same practitioners having clinics regularly so you'd see the same person. I don't want to pretend that everything was rosy back in the day. There were long waiting lists of up to six months. The NHS has long been underfunded and mental health has never had the funding it needed. We also heard from Richard, uh, co-chair of Leicester CND, and they had a, a large banner, uh, which he mentions at the start of his speech, saying, nurses, not nukes, connecting defence spending directly with the crisis in the NHS. I just want to state some of the facts and some of the values that underlie our banner, Nurses Not New, which, by the way, is being used nationwide as part of the CND campaign to link with the NHS campaign. We think it's very important to link our campaign with common values. So some facts then. The government currently spends three billion pounds a year on maintaining the current system of nuclear weapons. That is submarines, missiles and warheads. A, a disgusting monster of a weapon. But the government also plans to modernise this system, because that's what it really is. Not just replacing Trident, but modernising it. And the estimated cost of this project is £205 billion over the lifetime of this system. It has recently been announced that it will spend further billions on increasing the warheads that go with the missiles. And that breaches the agreement and obligations under several treaties. But at the same time, this same government can't afford to pay money a decent wage to nurses and as we've heard has underfunded the NHS for decades undermining its universality on the contrary the long-term policies have weakened our care as Sally has told us of course even if the will existed, it would not be any, any easy matter to direct funding from Trident to the NHS. There are about 20,000 well-paid workers in those industries that serve nuclear weapons. And by the way, they are extremely well organised. It's about waking up for the conflict of values around us, taking sides, making our own minds up about it and being active. Being woke, if you like. Now, I think you can say, oh, you're just woke. I say, yes, I'm woke. I wake up sometimes. I'm in a position of relative privilege, actually, as a pensioned old man. But I have to wake myself up to see that people are oppressed and there are things to do in the world that we have to do. So I like being woke, 
and I hope I wait more. So it's about standing up for our values, acting them out in our elite movement that's around us. Plenty of movement. Well, I like Green Party too, you know, I'm in the late party. Probably not for long. Uh, uh, and, uh, but there are plenty of movements, plenty of issues, plenty of things that people get involved in, as I have found personally. Finally, it was left to Steve Score to sum up the demonstration and remembering as well that this is just one in a whole nationwide series of demonstrations. It's just the start of a campaign, he is saying, to save our NHS. I think we have made the point that what we want to see is proper funding in the NHS, proper pay rises for the staff, an end to privatisation, an end to the threat of private companies being brought onto the management bodies that will control the NHS in the future. And we want to see an expansion of our National Health Service. I think what we've done today has been a start in that, but there's a lot further to go. I did an interview with Radio Leicester just now, and they said, well, that's Boris Johnson says he's going to increase funding. Down with the government! Hey, down with the government. Yeah. I agree with that. So that's the feeling. Uh, so good. Um, but the point is, he said he was going to increase funding for the NHS, but it was also going to solve the crisis in social care as well, which of course has been run down and underfunded for decades. But he's going to find that money by charging workers more tax by increasing national insurance. But actually, during the last, well, decades actually, the rich have continued to get richer while everybody else has struggled. Even in the last year, the 117 billionaires, with a big billionaires, in this country, their wealth has increased by 22% in one year. 22% increase in their wealth. If you want to know where to find the money for the NHS, that's where it is. Some of them are probably Russian oligarchs, by the way, donating to the coffers of the Tory party, but that's another story. Actually, so the money is there. But we need to continue the momentum of this campaign further. I think for the trade unions nationally, it's great they're supporting this day of action. Well, there's six and a half million members within the trade union movement, and they have a significant position in society, in the workplaces. If we saw less action by the trade unions, just for the last demonstration, by the way, TC has gone across the living demo in about three weeks' time in Blackpool, with very little notice and very little work done to build for it. I'm talking about a proper demonstration. The feeling of people about the NHS was demonstrated in the pandemic. Forget the hypocrisy of Boris Johnson clapping on the doorstep of Nathan. The feeling of the vast majority of people was in sympathy and grateful for the NHS at its start. And that feeling still exists. Let's harness that. Let's organise a national demonstration and trade union action in order to press on the points about what's happening in the National Health Service. We need to continue that campaign. That was a demonstration by the NHS Day of Action. That was Saturday the 26th of February and it was followed 
given the events happening as the campaign was unfolding, by a vigil called by the Ukrainian Association of Leicester in defence of their homelands uh, at the town square. And we had built a public meeting around that event. That was held on Wednesday. And events have obviously still happening since then. Here, Sophia talks about the need for international action to stop the conflict. Like, you know, we, we already know that there's hundreds of uh, people have died, uh, thousands wounded, hundreds of thousands are fleeing the country, uh, and uh, there's like projections that there could be, you know, eventually millions uh, of refugees, uh, as well as obviously more casualties. So I wanted to start with just like going in a bit, going into the background of it a bit. Um, I think, you know, while the invasion probably came like as a, as a shock to to most people, uh, there was obviously like you know tensions building for a long time. Not only just like on the Ukrainian border, um, which obviously we saw that for you know escalating, um, but also kind of more broadly in Eastern Europe, um, being kind of increasingly uh, a scene of inter-imperialist rivalry, uh, like. Not only between NATO and Russia being the kind of main actors in that sense, but also China making kind of forays into Europe um, and wanting to increase their influence. <clears throat> but also other European countries uh, having an increased interest in, in Eastern Europe kind of as of late. Um, but really this, uh, this conflict is an extension of the, the Cold War, the new Cold War that we've been seeing growing over a number of years with the, the big, like two big powers being the US and China, but then with others kind of lining up along the edges. And so yeah, this war like isn't really about Ukraine, if that makes sense. And the Ukraine or the Ukrainian people in particular have got kind of caught between uh, these two major imperialist powers. Um, I think it's like a gross oversimplification that, you know, it's, oh yeah, it's just Putin gone mad. Like, I'm not saying that he hasn't gone mad, but, um, and, you know, like, personalities and stuff do play a role, but it's really a bigger, um, a bigger picture. Um, and, um, and also I think the idea of Russia as kind of the sole, sole aggressor in this is also wrong, um, uh, kind of oversimplifying things. So I think it's important to have a kind of a correct analysis of what's actually, like, caused this. Uh, in order to um, think of what we can do, <laughs> what we can do today to like work towards ending this uh, war, you know what 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 demands we we place, uh, what we campaign around, and so on. And I think people are like, of course, like horrified um, by what's going on and looking for answers as as to what we can do. Um, and I think there is a, a great sense of international solidarity, not only like feeling for the Ukrainian people. It's obviously really, really horrendous what's going on. But also, I think more directly, like a, a sense of threat, especially after Putin dropped the atom bomb bomb. Um, well, mentioned the atom bomb, the, the fear of it getting just further escalation and getting out of hand. So, you know, I don't, I feel, I think a lot of people don't feel safe over here either. I think even more so, you know, if, if you look further east to other bordering countries, I mean, I'm, I'm Swedish and, you know, Putin has said, you know, Finland and Sweden, you're next kind of thing. Um, and I think in those countries, because Sweden and Finland aren't part of NATO, but have been kind of getting closer to NATO, if that makes sense. 
um, that there's going to be like increasing, uh, like increasing popularity for joining NATO. And I think that's understandable that people see it, you know, they're afraid and um, the idea that NATO is a, this big power, they'll protect us. But I think that is mistaken because NATO is ultimately a, a major like culprit in this, uh, actually escalating things um, and the tool of the imperialist elites um, of the West with a history yeah, like of, of escalating conflicts rather than protecting anyone. And I think a bit similar, um, you know, at a glance, I think the idea of sending weapons uh, and kind of military support to Ukraine might seem like a good idea and it's like a direct immediate way to address it um, but I think again this more than anything would serve to escalate will serve to escalate the crisis I mean again NATO's been arming Ukraine for a number of years um, and it's not that we're pacifists we're not against people protecting themselves uh, but in looking looking at practical in a practical sense of what we can do to actually improve the situation um, it's it's not really a solution at all. I think more more uh, productive is, would would be humanitarian aid rather than military aid, uh, and also accepting refugees. I think is really important that that we um, put that forward. Um, another thing that's been put forward as well as being implemented is sanctions. So in particular, we've seen the the sanctions against against Russian banks and the whole uh, excluding Russian banks from SWIFT, etc. And I think there's, you know, a number of issues with this as well, unfortunately. Firstly, it's not a very effective tool. And more, it's not going to hurt the Russian ruling class nearly as much as it's going to hurt the Russian people. And we're seeing that already uh, with interest levels being doubled to like 20% now. Um, and uh, secondly, I think, relatedly, I think people are right not to trust the Tories to, like, do any damage, any real damage to, like, the Russian oligarchs who they're basically have been in bed with for a long time. And yeah, I think I think this again like highlights another point. This is the, this this um attempt by by the ruling class and, and the kind of um big media to to uh build this narrative of kind of uh the idea that that the West are these like doing what's morally right and defending democracy and defending human rights. And uh, you know, and they they're happy to do this when it suits them, but they'll just they they they're not they they're at the same time there's a number of dictatorships that they're completely fine with, so it's this kind of they they pick whatever narrative suits them. And you know, Putin is saying the same thing from his side is is getting rid of the what was it his denazifying Ukraine or whatever phrase it was he used, and I think like this is a similar narrative that we've seen for a very long time. It gets like amplified at times when they need it, you know. Remember the like the axis of evil and the Afghanistan and Iraq invasions. So yeah, like this isn't really good versus evil. Uh, and I think like important to remember that war is you know politics by other means. It's an outcome of inter-imperialist rivalry <clears throat> that we've seen heating up over the last years. Well, neither side is on the side of the people, not of, not not on the side on the side of the people of Ukraine or the people of you know, anywhere, really. Um, so yeah, sanctions isn't a, isn't a solution. Um, I think because there's been um, calls for freezing the oligarchs' assets in the UK and, and elsewhere, I think, but that we should demand the seizing of the assets rather than freezing, and that, that money, uh, we can say, should be put towards housing Ukrainian refugees and supporting them, etc. So that might be a good uh, demand to put forward.
And also, like, well, we don't believe in bosses sanctions, so, you know, one ruling class sanctioning another country, essentially, uh, we can still call for a kind of worker sanctions. So basically, um, call for and support workers in the belligerent countries uh, to strike and protest uh, for workers in the arms industry and for workers transporting arms to, to go and strike and to cut off the supply. And I think that brings us to the kind of, I think, the most important point that we need to make, um, and that is that we need to build uh, a strong anti-war movement internationally, uh, and that we need to support the anti-war and the anti-Putin movement in Russia, uh, because the, the quickest way to end this war is to bring down Putin, and the quickest way to bring down Putin would be a popular movement. And there's historical examples of this, um, you know, the Vietnam War, um, was a decisive factor in, in US troops being withdrawn from Vietnam. Uh, and another really important example is, of course, the Russian Revolution ending the First World War. Um, and we are already seeing significant protests in, in Russia. Um, both, you know, people might have seen about the petition with a million signatures. A petition might not sound like the most like radical or anything, but I think in perspective that this is <coughs> under, uh, you know, violent repression from the regime, it's really, it's actually really dangerous to sign a petition. I think that you can kind of see the, the significance of it. Uh, and this is not to mention, you know, thousands of people taken to the streets <clears throat> and thousands of people, people being arrested as well. Uh, and yeah, so our members in, in Russia are taking part in these protests, uh, helping build them and, and work like, within them to like, put a way forward. Um, and I think one of, one of the most important things that we can do is to support them in any way we can. Um, but yeah, like I've said, ultimately the problem isn't just Russia, the problem is capitalism and the imperialist wars that it causes. Um, so yeah, we need, need to do all our power to build that anti-war movement and, and the movement for socialism uh, all over the world, um, not just in this war, but to stop any future wars from happening. Thank you. Here's a couple of poems I wrote about the crisis in the NHS. This is called Operating Theatre. Our NHS, at 75, is frail and cold. Suffering chills. Its funds are frozen. The remedy? Take a scalpel. Cut, fragment and divide. Into foundation trust, let the market decide. Parceled into manageable chunks. Packaged to suit the money man, whose bedside manner leaves much to be desired. Privatised, butchered, sold out, the rich can always go to Bupa. They don't need to rely on underfunded services and overworked staff. They have no fear of the knife. Stop them cutting into the still-beating heart of our health service. Stop them privatising the wards and the nurses and the care homes. The cancer of capitalism spreads out of control. We must apply people pressure. Stop the cuts. Save our hospitals. Strike back. And finally, this is an anti-war poem. It takes its name from the famous poem uh, written by Wilfred Owen about the First World War. It's called Futility. Mesopotamia, cradle of civilization. A pilot surveys a shattered landscape. A bomb dumbly drops destruction. 
pointless relic of a fatal, final, future race. Global dominance, cultural hegemony, mastery over fields of oil. Will the power lust of our leaders ever be sated? Will they squabble over the final drop? Senseless slaughter spinning the cogs of war. The petals on my poppy are white. A symbol of hope still shines bright. Look on ye mighty and despair. For we will not succumb to lies. The propaganda pumped through the press to divide and conquer us all. We are all one people. Around the globe, the realisation that we are the many and they are the few. Without us, wheels can't turn. Occupy, strike, solidarity, to end the waste and suffering and build a new society. (laughs) 